Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, clairvoyant, and thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations, both about astrology and about living a spiritual life. This episode that I have for you today is a really delightful conversation with Marie Tuwine about dating, and I think that you'll find that this conversation stokes your fires about building love in your life and feeling empowered in your capacity to do that, and that it's not just about finding someone or getting love somewhere out there, but about building it as a energy that you run throughout your life and that you have a cup that is flowing over and you're ready to engage uh, and share in love with other people. And we've been planning this episode since pretty much just before the pandemic. And so I don't know, some people are dating right now, some people aren't, and whether or not you are, and let's say you're someone who is seeking love in the horizon that you are actively desiring or seeking that part of your life, right? A lot of people come to me um, for astrology readings, like some of the the main things that people bring up in a reading when it comes to something that they want to call into their life is a significant relationship or healing of their capacity to be in relationship or something to do with money and career and purpose. So love is something, love and relationship are things that we really highly value in our experience in our human incarnational life. And it's also a place that we can develop some blocks or have some fears and anxieties. And so I find that it's just really helpful to be in conversation um, about love. And if you've ever, you know, experienced either from yourself, like you're the one doing this, or you have a friend who's recently kind of fallen in love, that they just have this glow about them and they inspire other people around them to be more amorous, right? So I think that while Venus is in Gemini right now, just talking about love is a good idea. I have Venus Mercury conjunct in my natal chart. So talking about love is always a good idea to me. But um, we're also about to get into a Venus retrograde season, which is definitely a journey of the heart and a time where we can be really evolving through the heart and heart opening and evolving our relatedness, evolving our concept of what it means to be in connection. And connection is really something that we need as social creatures. It's something that allows us to feel like we belong um, or like we're, we're at home or that we're fulfilled. And so I really think that you'll find from this episode some inspiration around how to bring more of that love and relatedness energy into your life. And if you're new here or you are primarily a listener of this podcast and you haven't explored my other channels, I highly encourage you to go to monarchastrology.com and check out the weekly forecasts. I've been writing these for five years now, and they are a combination of my astrological knowledge and studies with also my clairvoyant and psychic vision. I have an experience of seeing these little lights that look like stars that I see when I write that help guide my channel or my transmission. So I get a lot of feedback from the readers that these forecasts are really elevating and soothing and a really enjoyable experience of their week. And I come from a history of studying creative writing and having a nearly religious experience with poetry and just reading things that felt so alive and so heart opening or heart altering to just look at on the page. So I really um, approach language with this reverent mystical eye and, um, basically aim for that to come through in my forecast for them to be something that is um, enjoyable and mystical and world opening to read. So do add this as a 
enhancer to your week. Um, the forecast at monarchastrology.com. And if you visit my website, you can sign up for my mailing list there. There will be, there will be like a pop-up and also I'll leave the link to my mailing list in the show notes. And if you sign up for my mailing list, you can get the weekly forecast straight to your inbox and also be informed of things like my evolutionary astrology intensive course when it opens for enrollment. Now a little bit more about Marie Tuline, who is the lovely person that I interviewed for this episode about dating. Marie Tuline is a PhD candidate at the California Institute of Integral Studies and founder of Love Insight, a mindful dating coaching practice where she helps people of all ages, genders, and sexual slash relationship orientations navigate the path of intimate love and a growth-oriented mindset. As a psychology researcher and dating expert, she assists her clients in developing deep inquiry, clarity, and healing around the dating process, as well as formulating and enacting practical strategies for establishing meaningful connections with compatible people. Her academic work focuses on the transformative potentials of human sexuality and the transmutation of jealousy into empathetic joy in non-traditional relationship structures. So without further ado, I will get into our conversation. Hi, Maria. I'm so excited to have you here to talk about dating. And to start out with, I would love to hear what brought you onto this path of dating coaching. And from our last conversation, I understand you had like a, a notable dating process. So what was that like and what did you learn? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here. So yes, I mean, a lot of what brought me onto the path of dating coaching was my own dating experience, which was pretty extensive. Um, and also one of my greatest teachers in life. So I've always been very interested in human psychology and just understanding myself and understanding people. And I found that dating, the process of it, just observing my emotions throughout different interactions and observing what people have to bring um, was just uber fascinating. Um, so it did teach me a lot about myself, about what I really value in a connection, about what are my deal breakers. Um, and it taught me a lot about just how to read people, how to really know from <clears throat> beginning to end, you know, like beginning of maybe seeing someone online and just looking at a few pictures and wondering, oh, who's this person? What are they about? And then finding myself in front of them and being able to really feel into this person and what they are actually about. And, and that process of, of figuring out a slice of humanity in a date was just so fascinating. And it's something that I was able to use in other parts of my life as well. I feel like it's a part of just um, learning about humanity for me is to actually meet a lot of people. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been a great gift. Um, another thing that I would say too, is I used to be quite socially awkward. So the process of meeting a lot of people and going on a lot of dates has helped me just come out of my shell and really just practice my communication skills. So what can you say more about what this process looked like? Like how many dates did you go on and did you end up meeting someone? Yeah, yeah. I didn't count. <laughs> I would say that in retrospect, I probably went on a few hundred dates, you know, between the ages of 20 and 30, 31, which was when I met my the person who became my husband, my current husband. So that was about four years ago. And well, during the first year of us knowing each other, I still went on a few dates, but it became less and less as I just felt like, oh, you know, I, uh, like nothing else really compared and my appetite for going on other dates diminished. So I would say 
in about a decade, I probably went on 200, 300 dates. Um, so oftentimes, like once a week, you know, was about my average of just like going out and meeting someone that I would meet sometimes online, sometimes just in person. Um, and of course, there were some, you know, relationships interspersed with that period. Sometimes, you know, like I would date someone for a few months or a year, you know, but I didn't have anything really long term. I didn't find anybody that I felt like I could or wanted to commit to really long term. So yeah. I did end up, you know, with a lot of first dates, second dates, third dates, but a lot of those really short-lived relationships. I think what I find like really remarkable about going on that many dates is like the curiosity and the spirit of like experimentation. And also I think of um, business people who go on a lot of interviews or who are like promoting a project and they speak to hundreds of people and that there's this willingness to, to get out there. And with love, um, I think that there's sometimes a concept that is just going to happen magically and mm -hmm. to like go out there and like get in the process of meeting a bunch of people, I think is a way of, of participating with the process of meeting someone magically, because there is a difference I think between like meeting someone and you can tell that like, Oh, this is just a nice experience, but this isn't going anywhere versus that, magic electricity of meeting someone that you feel like you have a deeper resonance with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of experience. And I, sometimes I compare that process to with interviewing people. Like imagine like being an HR manager and interviewing people over and over based on resumes. Like at first, you know, I'm sure during their first few months on the job, they would be like, Oh, I can't really tell who's going to be a good fit. But then with experience, they might start to really tell more just from a limited amount of information, like who is this person and what can they potentially bring? And then there's always space for surprise, like even, you know, like throughout my process, even with my current husband, like the first time that we met, I didn't think we were that compatible. It took a little while for me to really discern like, oh, okay, there's really something here. So I love the process of being surprised over and over again. Mm, that's so beautiful. So I'm really curious what you think about online dating. And yeah, I'll just start that and not load the question further. And then I'll <laughs> share some of my thoughts. Yeah. Well, I think online dating is a gift. I know that there's some toxicity there. There is a lot of drawbacks and there's reasons why people don't like it. But overall, I feel like it represents abundance. It represents an abundance of options um, in terms of dating. You know, like if we think in the time of our grandparents, people didn't have an abundance of options. They would date people based on geographical proximity. Like they would date people that they grew up with. There was a limited pool of people they could choose from. So they didn't have many options. And it made things simpler. And in some cases it worked, but they didn't have the freedom that we have today. So online dating has really expanded our pool of potential dates and partners and it's forcing us to really be mindful about what is it that we want. It's forcing us to be mindful about really our intention and how do we interact with people. And of course, some people are not mindful and there's a lot of, you know, dehumanizing going on there. Um, it's a double-edged sword and we're adapting to this new paradigm of dating, but I would not want to go back in time. You know, I would not want to be my grandmother and just having a few options. Like, I'm so glad that I was able to meet all those people online. It's such a gift. Yeah, that's a super interesting point. Like courtship has changed like over time and there's a lot more freedom and I think less convention or less tradition right now 
um, than in previous eras where even just people had to uh, like save themselves for marriage more frequently. I like that being the norm. And so, or having an arranged marriage. So there wasn't even really like a dating, maybe like a courtship would occur, but not like this process of dating a bunch of people. And so I'm curious um, for people to bring romance into the online dating sphere, like what ways would you look at online dating? Because like you mentioned, the dehumanization, like how can people participate with online dating in a different way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, A lot of people, you know, they think that because it is, you know, run through an algorithm that there's no romance whatsoever to be found there. Um, But I think that because so many people go at it not so mindfully and dehumanizing people, it's actually pretty easy to differentiate yourself online and be that person who is going to be vulnerable and who is going to be authentic and come off as someone who's real and really willing to interact and not just a text, but a phone call. I can relate to that actually, because I've always been a writer. And so usually when I've been on online dating experiences where I can write a lengthy profile, I get messages where people are like, you're so different. You're so unique. And it's like, all I did was just, um, I would do that with housing ads too, like write a very Mm. detailed ad. And I see profiles where people don't say much about themselves and like, this is the medium. So this Mm -hmm. is an opportunity to share something, but I come into it with the advantage, I suppose, of being a writer. And so I already have that um, connection set up of like cognizing my values and who I am and then putting it into words to share with someone else, Mm -hmm. which I feel like not that other people don't do that, but even when it comes to like online presence, like I feel like I just like to communicate. So I, I've found it really strange, like on, like I was getting into online dating a bit before the pandemic and now I've, my interest has been like couched a little bit for the mm-hmm. time being. But um, I noticed that some people like had things written in their profile, like, I can't believe I'm here. Like, like they're just upset that online dating is a thing or saying something of like, we can't gauge each other here. So let's just cut the chat and meet, which doesn't feel very like romantic either. But I imagine, you know, people are also jaded by having lengthy conversations and then never meeting the person. That's Mm -hmm. an interesting kind of space of having so many options that people can act like people are disposable. So there's a bit of, um, it's just like a new landscape basically, that people are figuring out, as you were saying. Right. And I understand that online dating can be very vulnerable, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why people act really cynical about it, because they're trying to protect themselves from the huge amount of exposure that, you know, this actually implies. And going online and building a profile. and I feel that too. I kind of forgot about that. Because that's something that I had to get over to even get on the apps. Because I was like, I have an online presence already. Mm -hmm. How can I also have an online dating presence? (laughs) It feels almost like a secret window into me that I don't intend for just anyone to see. But suddenly it's available to anyone who's on the app. Right, right. Yeah, it's a very delicate dance between feeling overexposed, but also, you know, exposing enough that you can shine and you can come off as a real authentic person. Um, Interesting. So, so it can be very scary. So, you know, like I, I understand part of the cynicism is just fear of being rejected and fear of failure. Um, that's a big one because when you go outside, you know, out, out there and you're basically declaring like, Oh, I, I want a partner. I want love then there's this mechanism I think that happens where people are either going to feel successful with that or they're going to feel like they're failing with that. So to be very vague and to be cynical about it and to just, you know, like put all of those protective layers in a way protects us from feeling like we have failed. Oh, that's such an interesting perspective. 
So yeah. can you say more about that process of working with rejection or how we internalize that rejection as failure, like when that comes to dating? Yes, yes. And that's one of the things that I work with the most with the people I coach, you know, like that's one of the biggest hurdles that everyone has to deal with. Um, and, you know, like as a premise to that, I would say that there's no way to get rid of rejection completely. That's just something that comes with the territory. We have to learn how to handle rejection rather than trying to avoid it completely if we want to go anywhere. And that, you know, I would say is valid in other realms of life too. Like if you go look for a job, you know, you want to send many applications knowing that a lot of them will reject you and, and, you know, you can't just take every one of those rejections personally. You just have to be like, Hey, that's not a good fit. It's fine. Thank you for letting me know. I'm going to keep putting myself out there until I find the right fit. So I think that part of growing up as a person is actually learning to handle rejection in a gracious way that doesn't affect <clears throat> our self-love and our self-esteem. So I think dating is a really great tool for that. Um, and at the same time, um, to me, the best insurance against, you know, like the pain of rejection, which there's not really like an insurance against it, but the way, <clears throat> sorry about that. The best way to, to really handle it is to be the first one to, to love, you know, to, to basically run a lot of love into your body, into your being, and to be already in a place of giving. And that oftentimes implies, you know, having a social network outside of dating, you know, to have friends and family and, and to have a rich life that allows you to come at it with a lot of love and a lot to give. So I think that when you are in that space of, hey, listen, I do have a lot to give here instead of, hey, what can you do for me? You can handle rejection <clears throat> with a lot more poise than if you're already feeling like a victim to begin with in your life. That is such a good point. Um, I've been thinking about a thing I picked up from A Course in Miracles, which I'm not that deep into. It's from hearing other people talk about it. But the concept that there's no special relationships, that like we're in relationships with everyone and everything, and that the illusion of like, you're one person. And so even though we do have partners that it being here on this planet, isn't about just loving one person or mm -hmm. finding one person to love. It's about being love and all of our interactions. And in the process of seeking one person, but not running love in general as like a frequency through one's being would make it um, maybe more of a, a complex like power game and power struggle of like needing someone so badly and, you know, dealing with the, the internal chaos of that state. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, we do have this cultural myth that this one person should basically fulfill all of our needs at the emotional level. Like we've lost that more tribal view of love and what we need to be happy social beings you know like i think hollywood is to blame partially for that um the idea that when you do meet that one person all of your problems fall away and you can finally love yourself and be okay and that's so not true um so yeah i i agree like the idea of the one is quite problematic in my view. And it puts so much expectation on whoever you're going to meet, like people who have this hope that this one person is going to basically complete them and fix all of their problems. When they're on the dating scene, they approach people with so much expectation that it doesn't leave much room for real empathy and real connection. And really like meeting every person where they're at. Like it creates this big list of, are you the one or are you not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So what are some things um, for like people that you work with, for example, like how would you advise people get more in touch with love as a frequency or like the love within themselves? Mm, That's a really good question. Oh, there's so many ways. I think that one of the ways, you know, at least for me, that's been so significant has been to really invest in my friendships. Because friends are, you know, like people who sometimes, you know, will be in your life for a lot longer than real romantic partners. And, and there's no, there's no limit and no cap to how deep you can go with a friend. Like you can really practice opening your heart, you know, like you don't have to have a sexual connection with someone to open your heart to someone as a friend. So to me, friendship is one of the best ways that I have learned to open my heart at a deep level. Um, And then there's, of course, nature, you know, like going in nature and feeling the universal love that exists, you know, in the natural elements. And that's a way to me that is, you know, like taking care of myself by being exposed to that natural intelligence. Um, That is a way to just connect with the coherence of life in a way, that bigger intelligence that makes me just have faith in whatever else is happening. (laughs) I'm getting this image, actually. It's interesting. Like, I think of how animals have these, like, mating rituals and mating dances and the instinctual nature of that. And Mm -hmm. I think that the human version of that, like, there may be the superficial layer of the things that we do that are signaling courtship and signaling that we're ready. But I think the instinctual primal level of human of mating ritual is getting into that vibrational like loving state with reality itself and then it's kind of remarkable how quickly the universe responds by sending people into our lives Mm, that is so true like actually like that makes me also think of an image like imagine going into like a a social space and you see someone just dancing alone, but they're really enjoying themselves. They're really having a great time with the music, with their own body, with their own expression. This person is incredibly attractive (laughs) versus someone waiting in the corner, waiting for someone else to invite them to dance and being shy and being afraid that nobody will. Like who's going to be the more open for a connection with somebody else, it's a person who's able to dance with themselves and enjoy themselves to begin with. Right. How do you think, um, I think that process of like falling in love with oneself when a person doesn't feel resourced to begin with, I think is the really tricky spot for people. Because if you hear that the maxim or the phrase, like how can anyone love you if you don't love yourself, but you Mm -hmm. don't feel like you love yourself, it feels like a weird catch 22. Totally, totally. And I think that there is some truth to that maxim, but it's not the whole truth. Like I think that you don't have to love yourself a hundred percent before you can let somebody else love you. And, and through a love relationship, you can learn to love some of the parts of yourself that you haven't loved before. And that's in a way, like one of the biggest reasons to be in a relationship is to initiate some of that healing of the places of you maybe you haven't been able to love. So of course it is, you know, like a process. And if you really, but really don't love yourself at all, it will be difficult for somebody else to come in and love you, you know, because you're going to have your defenses up. So I would say that things like friendship, like nature, like expression, art, or whatever, you know, like can help you get in touch with yourself and, and um, start that process of self-acceptance can be really instrumental. So actually, even in coaching, sometimes when I meet someone who really desperately wants to date, but has a lot of blind spots in other areas of their life, I will, you know, invite them to 
to discuss those as well, you know, because I think that dating cannot be separated from the rest of one's psyche and one's life. Um, so it's a, it's a process. Hmm. And the last time that we spoke, you told me about a book, The Buddha, If the Buddha Dated, and we were talking about how dating can be a spiritual practice. Um, and so I just would love to hear more about that perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think it is one of the most potent spiritual practices that we can have, you know, as lay people who are not in a monastery. Um, and the reason is that dating really exposes all of the stories that we make about ourselves and about what our existence on this planet means and what the point of it is. A lot of the times our romantic aspirations are kind of like at the core of, of that narrative that we have about who we are. And to confront and, you know, like, and to juxtapose that narrative with the reality of dating can be really illuminating. Like it can illuminate where maybe your narratives are not true or not serving you and where you're enacting some patterns that are not healthy and not serving you. It can be a huge mirror. And actually, I, I do see dating as like a hall of mirrors where you get to see yourself in so many ways that you wouldn't see yourself otherwise. And it exposes everything. Like I was talking about fear of rejection and fear of failure and fear of not being in control. All of those things are going to come up to the surface. And when they're at the surface and you have the intention of transforming and evolving, then you can really deal with them more directly than if they're still buried. So I think it's a huge opportunity and, you know, it's especially potent if you do have support, you know, like in your life to, to help you kind of reframe those emotions. Like if rejection comes up, for example, you know, like the instinctual response will be to criticize yourself and, and, and take that rejection as a sign that you're not valuable. But if you have either a therapist or a good friend or a coach helping you reframe those experiences in a positive and empowering way, then you can really grow leap and bounds. Mm. I love that. It feels like, um, I'm remembering, like I was listening to a Joe Dispenza audio book and a lot of people in my life were talking about him. So I felt like it was time to get into it, but he was talking about, um, the way that our thoughts and feelings become moods and our moods over time become personality traits and that our thoughts and feelings are reactions often to things in our life. So some, he was using the example of two different people who had gotten out of a relationship who had been broken up with or something. And one of them was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And you see them kind of go on with their life and have good experiences and they're thriving. And another person who was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And that person is just like in despair and their life is like showing that in the years following. And so it's interesting with uh, dating or with romance, how gut-wrenching the rejection side of it can be. And mm -hmm. similar, I mean, you brought up like job rejection and I think people can feel pretty, like hit pretty heavy by that. And at the same time, there's something so much more personal and challenging about like another person rejecting you and to find ways to, to not be offset by that and to just like pick up and, you know, keep going. I think there's actually like an element of courage that really comes through with, with the courtship process. It's courage to put yourself out there and show your heart. You know, there's courage to like go out and meet someone or get to know someone, even if, even if you feel insecure, um, there's courage to be vulnerable, even if you end up getting rejected. Um, so I almost like feel this sense from our conversation of like part of dating is 
like the spirit of romance or like getting into a spirit of courage and love. Um, and you know, how helpful too to have like mentors or guides in your court too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of courage being at the core of romance. And it's so true because like, what is it that's so magical about romance? It's that idea that you put yourself in a vulnerable position where you don't have all the control. And that's, you know, like so romantic, you know, like if you can find yourself in a situation where you trust this situation and this person enough to let yourself be vulnerable and expose the things that are not normally exposed. It is a rich space for transformation. And what's the, the part about control? Cause now you've mentioned it a few times. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. like what kinds of control mechanisms people are bringing into dating, perhaps unconsciously and how people can work through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, you know, like it is good to feel empowered and to feel like you have a say in the places where you can have a certain amount of control. I think that's healthy. Um, uh, because if you're completely out of control, then you might just fall into negative patterns or fall for, you know, fall for things that are not good for you. So I'm not saying that control is not good. But there is a way where when people come at dating with such a narrow image of who will fit their image of the person they should be with, and then everyone else is discarded, I would say that that's an overly controlling way to go about something so potentially magical and so nonlinear as dating. So I I know that some people like have very very specific criteria like even demographic criteria about what they want in a partner like it has to be someone who is between the ages of 60 and 64 and they have to be no shorter than you know like 510 and you know like it gets really really specific and to me that is a way that people try to control something that inherently cannot be controlled. Like we can't control other people. And that's a very hard lesson to learn. You know, we all wish we could control other people to our liking and to fit our needs. But the, you know, the challenge of life, not just dating is to learn that we can't. And, and how do we love people? when we can't control them. Like, what does that even mean? Like, to love a free being that you can't control to your liking and to your needs. And a lot of relationships really get poisonous because people try to control each other. That's when, that's where relationships go to die, is when there's so much control that nobody can find their true expression anymore. And they have to be in this little box. That's yes. the an, an, antithesis, antithesis of love <laughs> in my book. Yeah. It's interesting thinking about the possibility of a reality where everyone bends to your will, like also sounds really like dry at some point. Like I think maybe at the start, it just feels like a weird, like, like an episode of like the twilight zone or like some kind of thing where it's just like someone wishes that everyone would just be exactly as they want them to be. And then they end up feeling totally alone because they're actually not with anyone else but themselves. And so we actually do really find stimulation and expansion through other people. And there's a, I think a process of surrender or like ego death, even to experience another person's essence and not just our, filter of them through our own like egocentric consciousness. Like there's Mm -hmm. a certain selflessness or putting the self aside. And I think that it's such an interesting dance because at an extreme of being selfless that we can get into negative relationship dynamics where, you know, there's maybe like an abusive situation or it's just someone that 
you know, isn't providing for us in the way that we truly need, but we're like, oh, it's okay. It's whatever, you know, it's like that having like standards or boundaries is a thing too. What do you think about the process of negotiation and in new relationships, you know, when it comes to commitment or, you know, stating and expressing needs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that communication is so key in those areas. And I think that the key word here is shared vision. You know, like I, I see, you know, like that negotiation as two people on a drawing board and having a conversation about what is our vision here? Like what, what do we hope to get from this relationship? Like what's the point of this? And can that vision be a joint vision rather than two separate visions that then are likely to end up in a power struggle? So of course it can't be, you know, like, you know, like just a simple process and there most likely will be a lot of places where someone has to maybe let go of one thing that they thought was going to be a thing, but they realized down the line, like, oh, you know, it was not really a core need or, you know, it's something that I'm actually okay with letting go of. So, but it's a very deep process of introspection for each person to say like, okay, is this, is this a deal breaker or is this not? Like, what is something that I can evolve with and be okay with versus something that I will have resentment about down the line. So mm-hmm. it, it is really important that those people, you know, getting into the relationship at first, you know, be very upfront and very transparent about what those potential deal breakers and potential non-negotiable needs are. Right. Yeah. And I guess to stick by it if they need to and not be in the, um, the space of thinking that they can change someone else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is such a trap that is so common because, you know, like some people can feel very compatible at one level and think, well, if we're so compatible and we have such a deep connection, they're going to change for me. And that is, you know, an attempt to control somebody else. What's your perspective then on compatibility? Like what is compatibility made of? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a great question too. Yes, great, great questions. Um, So again, I think that shared vision is really the core of compatibility. Like, you know, like do people have enough in common about what this relationship means to them? Do they have common goals? And do they, are they willing and able to invest in the pursuit of that goal together? Um, And values, of course, you know, like for someone, you know, like who really values growth, um, for example, in conversation and communication, you know, like it would be very difficult to be with someone who values more like, you know, just stability and, and not really, not really evolving. So I think that those core values, like what is it that you're really about? What is it that you're trying to grow into for it to align with the person that you're going to be partnering with is really important. Mm. And that said, you know, compatibility is such a complex topic. I don't think that anyone really has all of the answers. Um, sometimes people just fall in love and it feels like they're, there's no, that they're not compatible on paper necessarily, but their souls have something to learn together. And <laughs> I that, know that one. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I feel in um, in the spiritual kind of vein of things, um, people that are like sensitive or permeable to like other realms, like I consider myself, there can be like, I'll meet people and there's a mutual recognition of soul. And we're just like, whoa, we've known each other. And there's a 
if there's a mutual curiosity to explore that, I have had those kinds of relationships where on paper, it's like, well, this isn't going to work out. Like we're not going to build a life together, but let's like play and explore what this is. And um, there's been a learning curve for me with that of like allowing, like knowing that that's part of my experience or part of existence. And in my kind of like cosmology, uh, I believe in reincarnation or like reincarnation is an experience that I feel very in touch with. So if I have these people that I've met before in prior lives, it's an interesting kind of person to connect with because in a sense, it's like your ex. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's a familiarity, but there's also, you know, there's some like unresolved stuff. Um, And I think it's interesting to, uh, to work with that and unpack that a little bit when it comes to forming kind of, beliefs about people just because there's chemistry or just because there's magic in the connection of, oh, this person should be, you know, who I settle down with or who I build a life with because it's fun or because it's sexy or whatever, but that may not, you know, be. And then Mm -hmm. even to the, um, not to split it up too much where it's like, okay, but the person that I do settle down with, it's going to be kind of like boring and mundane and I'll put the magic (laughs) aside. (laughs) Like there is actually a possibility for integration, Mm -hmm. but I think that there's, um, yeah, maybe just some initiations and maturity processes and love of realizing how to, to recognize when a contract or when a connection is ending versus when it's an investment or a connection that's going to last for a long time. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and to that point, I think that we do have this cultural myth or image that the relationship is only a successful one if you stay with this person for the rest of your life. And if you end that relationship earlier than that, it's considered a failure on, you know, on both parts or one of the other parts. Um, but that's so not, it's not a realistic Mm. image, you know, like there are relationships that can be short lived and yet be super successful because they heal something in you and they inform you and they make you into a more whole person. So I love that you mentioned that, you know, sometimes you do meet someone and you know, it's not going to be your life partner, but you go for it because you know that there's magic and, and growth and healing and, you know, something good to be had there. And that is amazing. That is such a good takeaway to like, almost, you know, just like give up the concept of relationships being failures, relationships that have ended and reframing it to like, how was it a success? Because if we do have contracts with people on a spiritual level, for example, as a way of looking at it, to recognize like how it's been fulfilled and what has been gained and to Mm -hmm. help, you know, move on from that place. Right. Yeah. Like did that relationship leave you into a more wholesome person than it found you with? Like, I think that's a better criteria than how long were you with that person? And did you mingle finances? And (laughs) did you, like, did you buy a house? True. So, um, when it comes to investing in the process of discovering and finding love in one's life, whether that's through dating, um, or, you know, building a relationship after a dating experience has flourished into something more long-term. What do you think the importance of investing in this area of life is? Well, I don't think it's, you know, like something that people should feel like they have to do, even though again, you know, like it matches some of our social narratives of, you know, you go to college and then you find someone to be with. Um, so I think that the timing can be really interesting in that area and to tune inwards and really ask genuinely, like, is this the right timing for me to be investing in that area of my life can be really potent because there's times where it's just not the most productive thing that you can do. Like when I was, 
18 years old and I was traveling and I decided to, you know, like move to the United States and get a job. And I had so much on my plate in terms of learning to do a good job and, and learn about who I was. Like there was a period where I didn't date at all. And it just felt like it was not where my attention should be for my growth in that moment. So, so in, you know, in that regards, it's not a necessity. Um, but there comes a point where everyone really has to face those um, I would say those challenges that really can only come through romantic and sexual engagement, or maybe only is too much of a word, but in general, you know, will come through those kinds of relationships, you know, like the, the array of emotions that come like the attachments and the rejections and the fears and the beauty and the magic and, and losing yourself in a, transcendent way like there's so much richness that can be explored there that can be had there so when someone just tells me like oh I don't really want to invest there I don't think I I want to to date I always ask why you know like is it coming really from a place of genuinely not finding that this is the most potent place of growth right now or is it because of fear and feeling like there's too much unresolved pain there and there's too much risk. Um, and if it's the second thing, well, you know, how can those knots be untied? You know, can, can there be an opening? Can there be a chance for healing? So, yeah, there's not many, many activities that can be as potent as dating. In relationship in my opinion for people like I said for lay people like us. <laughs> Those are really good points. Um, so what kinds of work do you do with people as a dating coach? Um, so it is both internal work and external work. So on the one hand I usually you know like really talk to people about their patterns and their relationship history and what they're trying to find, what they're trying to get out of their dating life and really gaining clarity in that regard and, and doing things for the right reasons. Um, so really going at it with intention is something that I can help them with. And then once that more like, you know, like visioning part of the work is in place, usually we move into like self um, self-image, like what are the stories that people tell about themselves about what they have to offer as a partner? So what that does is partly just highlight the places where they don't really see themselves as a strong potential partner. And also once, you know, like we fill in the gaps and really build that image of what their strengths are, it can serve to inform the um what i called like authentic branding of like how am i going to communicate about myself out there how am i going to present myself like either in person or online so how can i highlight all of those amazing things that i have to offer and then the strategy part comes in so what apps what websites should you be on depending on what you're looking for and your demographics and then how do you communicate with potential partners? Like, how do you flirt, whether it's online or in person? What events should you attend? So, so that is a really fun part of the process. It's just kind of that strategy element. Like, where, where should you be to, to find what you want? That and then, so you know, processing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> processing the, the many interactions that happen and, and, and framing them in a positive and empowering way. That sounds so comprehensive. I love, like right now, as we're recording this, Venus, planet of love is square Neptune. So there's like a kind of magical, dreamy, mystical feeling in the air right now. And part of the Venus-Neptune combination can be a little bit of confusion or boundary blurring in love. And so I think what I'm hearing from how you described 
those facets of what you can help people with is it's kind of like demystifying the process and like getting into some of the details to help bring some clarity to something that can be overwhelming otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. Um, I'm actually, there was a point, I don't remember when in the conversation, but I remembered I had a dream image recall. I've been having a lot of dreams, uh, especially because it's like quarantine and or shelter in place. I like as a word more and Mm-hmm. I've been so introverted that I can be in my own energy more and I've just been keeping a dream journal. But there was one dream I had that was just like a glistening like dating profile. <laughs> it was someone's wow. like, dating profile that was just so well communicated. It's like this person's essence is just really coming through and it was just glowing. And that was oh. it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is such a good dream. <laughs> I feel like it had something to do with today and just thinking about, you know, but it, it, there can be like a mystical or a magical side to online dating. And I feel like for me, like one of my highest values is magic and enchantment. So that's the energy that I want to bring into everything. And so Mm. when it comes to like meeting other humans, I want to remember like this is a spirit soul. This person is like a cosmic being. Like there's something meaningful here. Like who is this mysterious person? And like having that uh, charge of like mystery and enchantment. And I don't think that that excludes people who are like behind a profile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the profile is just the bridge. Mm-hmm. So even mystifying the internet or these apps that bring us together not, and, you know, having the imagery that there's just, you know, this algorithm AI, like disenchanted dystopian thing is also an imagery based story. Like it's an, it's a fantasy as much as a more positive one could be. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's important in self-development and, you know, considering mindset and stories to be really aware of what stories and fantasies we have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I totally agree. Because if you do see that world as being enchanted, then any tool that will help you make that world bigger and more complex just, you know, exponentially increases those possibilities for more enchantment. Such a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I love that image. So how can people find and work with you? Oh, yeah. Um, so my website is um, loveinsight-dating.com. So loveinsight, all in one word, dash dating.com. Is that like love, like ins, I guess insight is spelled the same way, whether it's one or two words. Correct. Is <laughs> it a play on words? Like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I want to help with insights so that you know that it is insight. <laughs> gotcha. So you said it was love insight dash dash dating dot com. Okay. So that's the best place to find me. I'm also on Instagram um, and Facebook, although I'm still learning to use those platforms more. So they're they're not very substantial yet. So I would say my website is the best place. Okay. And you're posting some like writing there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm writing a blog and there's more details about what kind of services I offer and a little bit more about my background. Um, So just before we go, do you have any like words of advice to impart to anyone who's getting ready to embark on being more in the process of dating or making themselves available to meet people? Yeah. And it has to do with filling yourself up with love and goodness before you start. Um, Because rejection, you know, like is most likely going to be everyone's biggest Achilles heel. Um, There's a really beautiful story from Miguel Don Ruiz book, The Mastery of Love, that I actually like to share with people I work with. And it's The Magical Kitchen. So. Someone, you know, like has a magical kitchen, which produces all kinds of foods, like in every possible variety and any amount 
So there's always people coming over and wanting to, you know, eating from that magical kitchen. You know, there's a big table for all the people to eat from this magical kitchen. And then someone shows up at the door and they have a pizza and they tell you like, hey, I have this pizza, but you're going to have to do anything I want if you want this pizza. You're going to have to become my slave. And so you would say like, wait, I have a magical kitchen and I can make even better pizza. Like, I don't, I don't need your pizza. Like, I'm not going to do whatever you want. And if you want to come in and have some food, you're welcome to. So imagine how different that scenario would be if you didn't have a magical kitchen and you were starving. You would do whatever that person wants for an exchange for the pizza. So I love that image because it shows how when we're, you know, really filling ourselves up with love to begin with, we're not such slaves and we have so much to give and we're in a place of giving rather than deprivation. So however, you know, someone can get there, it's really the best possible starting point for any kind of relationship. That's super potent. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming on the show today to share with us your wisdom about dating and love. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun. Thank you. Wasn't that great? I just loved that story at the end about the magical kitchen. Now, I wonder if some of you have strong Scorpio energy, for example, running through your chart as I do, and I just have Pluto and Scorpio, but I think that's a big of enough deal and it aspects a lot of my planets. There's a certain situation that comes up within the Scorpio archetype, within the Pluto archetype, within the experience of merging or having intimacy where we expand past our own limitations, like we're all these distinct beings, right? And so we have some talents, we have some affinities, and other people have different talents and different affinities. And when we connect with each other, we often grow through the encounter. So this can create an experience where we get to experience certain things in life, certain feelings because of another person, because of our relationship to them. And On the other hand, because we've had this experience, because we've had this initiation, it's also contacting or awakening a part of ourselves. So I find that when it comes to, say, like running the energy of love in ourselves, part of that can be looking at what are some of the things that we identify as only getting to experience when we're in love, like a certain aspect of yourself, for example, that you feel comes out when you are in love and how can you connect with that energy all the time or how do you connect with it on your own? And I think similar to uh, the experience of awakening. So having like a spiritual awakening and having a, an epiphany or a revelation of the sublime and then having to integrate that sublime energy into your everyday mundane experience or else feel this insufferable distance between you and the divine, right? Like, oh, that was my awakening or that was my my fantastic trip and now I just have to resign myself to come back to a normal life. No, we don't want to do that. We want to stay lit and stay awake, right? So when it comes to love and having this awakening of love or this revelation or realization of who we can be, to integrate that back into our independent self and to run that energy on our own is the task, I think, that love can invite from us. So whether you have been listening to this episode, I mean, maybe you're in a relationship and you listen to this because you're in a non-monogamous relationship or you just like to uh, listen to things like this or maybe you just like this podcast. I don't know. If you're in a relationship, perhaps this episode has inspired you to run more of that love and Eros energy in yourself and to... Um, bring that into your connection as well. And if you are single and you were listening to this episode because you're interested in finding your partner or your beloved, I wish you so many blessings on that journey. 
And I hope that this episode gave you some insight about how to draw that desire into your life. I hope that you have a beautiful Venus retrograde cycle. And I would love to hear how you're doing. Don't be a stranger. Literally chat me up on Instagram. I'm at Sabrina Monarch. Follow me there. And you can also find me on Twitter at Sabrina underscore Monarch. I love to hear how you're doing. I also recently started a YouTube channel. My channel's name is Sabrina Monarch, and I'm posting audio versions of my forecast there. So that's also a place that I would love to hear from you and hear how you're doing, how your week's going, how you're experiencing the planetary energies that I write and speak about. So if you enjoyed this episode and you've been enjoying this podcast in general, I would love to read your review. You can leave a review on Apple, um, either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And if you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll take down your email address and I'm working on a free gift. I promise it's almost ready and I will send it to you when it's ready. And this gift is for people who have reviewed the podcast to thank you for helping me. Um, when you review the podcast, it makes this podcast more visible in the algorithm so more people can find it. So if you've benefited from this, um, consider sharing the love by telling your friends about this podcast and boosting it on the internet by giving it a rating and a review. All right. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Much love. 